Fans and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and it's been 224 days since we last tasted defeat, and it's now been 9,852 days since we last started the season on five wins. The D's had just defeated the Pies at Waverley, and David Schwartz had kicked three goals, and Todd Viney had racked up 30 possessions. Todd's son Jack was just three weeks old, Max Gorm was three years old. Nathan Jones was five, and Christian Petrarca was two years from being born. Joining me tonight, uh, Grape Viney. Good evening, Grape Viney. How are you? I'm well, Andy. Uh, a little bit embarrassed that I haven't done the uh, same level of homework as you have in preparation for tonight, but uh, very happy to be 5 and oh. Oh, yeah, extremely happy. Uh, there was an article uh, posted during the week that had all these facts and figures <laughs> about uh, what had what was going on in the AFL world um, the last time we were 5-0. and oh, So it was interesting reading. Um, I might go through a bit of it later on. Um, uh, also joining us tonight, uh, uh, Bin Man. Good evening, Bin Man. How are you? Good, good evening, Andy. Good evening, Grapevine. Good evening, Demon Landers. And yeah, the world looks a bit different if you're a D's fan and... You're coming into a big game at the MCG, having won the first five games of the season, certainly um, compared to the uh, same point in the season last year. It's, uh, um, you know, it makes for a positive start to the year, doesn't it, footy-wise and just generally, really. Yeah, my MFCSS, uh, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with the term, that's the veil of negativity that sort of hangs over all of uh, all of us, or most of us, on Demon Land and a lot of Melbourne supporters just due to the uh, lack of success that we've all had and we're just sort of expecting the worst. And, yeah, I get that tingling sensation and I got it uh, this week during the game. Um, you know, for the first three quarters of the match, it was a bit of a slog. Uh, we we couldn't seem to get any rhythm going and Hawthorne seemed to just clog up the game. They flooded back heavily and simply just stopped our run. Uh, it didn't help that our set shot kicking once again let us down. And, you know, uh, the Hawks really, you know, and this is classic Clarkson, just tried to, he was relying on not losing rather than trying to win. Uh, a big man tactically, how did you see the first three quarters playing out? And were you worried uh, that we uh, wouldn't be able to get our game to click? Because I, I certainly was nervous uh, that Haw- the Hawthorne floodgates might have opened, not necessarily because of, uh, you know, their their ability, but just because of the momentum uh, and us sort of not being able to get our game going. So ha- how did you see it? Uh, not, I, I wasn't worried. I mean, I, I was a bit surprised. I said last week I thought there was a chance that um, Parker, uh, sorry, that uh, Clarkson would try something a bit different and, um, um, you know, maybe look to attack. Um, it was in a, in a funny way a mirror image of uh, a, 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 the same as the Geelong-Hawthorne game from the previous week up until three-quarter time where Hawthorne um, basically worked hard to make sure they stayed in the game by keeping the scores low. Um, two of their goals, I thought, in the first quarter were um, were 
pretty much down to our sort of forward 50, sorry, our defensive 50 being a bit out of shape a little bit. One, you know, both were out the back goals that were unusual for us and sort of put that down to having two defenders um, coming back into that side and Petty and Hibbard. Um, so, no, I wasn't really worried at all um, because two reasons. And um, Geelong kept, um, sorry, Hawthorne kept themselves in that game against the Cats, but the Cats um, don't have the firepower to uh, push away and, um, um, you know, that's not going to be a winning formula against the Ds to keep scores low because we'll break them at some point and we did and um, the statistics were pretty um, <clears throat> strong in our favour for except for clearances and you'll be, you'll be uh, pleased to know up until three-quarter time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it was really inevitable. It was very impressive um, um, when it did happen. Some of the stats in that in the last quarter were phenomenal um, in terms of what we, you know, how we dominated uh, in that last quarter. It was incredible. Once the floodgates did open, they certainly opened, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, sorry, I had my uh, mic muted then. Uh, Grape Viney, uh, how was your, um, were your thoughts on the game? Did, did Were you worried at any stage? I was worried in the sense that we couldn't, you know, um, we couldn't seem to get our connection happening, um, you know, during those three quarters. And uh, as you mentioned, Hawthorne did a, a sort of a good job of blocking us up and uh, really forcing us out wide. And although we did miss a few sitters, um, many, quite a few of the shots were from, you know, around the 50 mark and uh, plenty of marks taken in the pocket. So, um Look, I, as as uh, as much as we struggled um, to get it happening in the first three quarters, I think Hawthorne struggled that little bit more. And so, even when they did kick that uh, kick that goal very early in the last a few seconds in, um, I, I still felt pretty comfortable, um, and uh, and so it proved. Um, the question was asked on the board this week: Do you trust Melbourne? And uh, it's hard not to trust them um, after what we've seen so far. Yeah, absolutely. At halftime, um, Goodwin would have been pretty focused on some of the stats that we're well down in, in areas that we'd normally, um, you know, we've been super strong. We were, they had 11 tackles inside 50 at halftime. The Hawks, we only had two. We were eight down in clearances at that point, um, and that was despite us being plus 18 in hitouts. So only two tackles. I can imagine. I said to my mate of the game that uh, you know Goody will be straight on that, presumably. To you know, we've been running at 17, 18 tackles inside fifty uh, all season, and um, two at half times not good enough. And uh, we got a goal not long into that third quarter, which came after a lot of forward half pressure, and it culminated in um, the sort of dual tackle from Nibbler and Petrarca, um, where we got a holding the ball and. Uh, Petrarca took a longer run up than he's the distance the ball was going to travel by about two to one, but fortunately put it through and um, we were much stronger after that. And um, in terms of our forward half pressure, um, by three quarter time, we're up to seven tackles inside 50. So we had five in that third quarter uh, and really got the sort of clearances evened up, particularly in the, in the last quarter. And it was interesting with the clearances, they were ahead. Um, on the clearances, but it was a really good example of what we've been talking about in the first few weeks about how much more aggressive we are in our centre square setup where, you know, we're going to lose more um, clearances than we historically have out of the centre because we're 
we're setting up to uh, when we do win them um, that they're you know we've got we can run out the front of that pack and um, we can uh, deliver deep into forward fifty like Oliver did a couple of times in that last quarter Nibbler did as well. Um, there was one example right at the end of the third, uh, just before the third quarter siren, where it was a really good example of that risk reward. Um, Oliver took the ball um, from um, the tap out from Gorn and immediately went to give one of those little um, handballs, a really quick uh, handball to Petrarca and turned it over and they got the clearance. But if he'd got it to Petrarca, um, Petrarca would have been running into open space and kicking a deep inside 50. That's the risk-reward that's changed a little bit because um, perhaps last season the instruction would have been for Oliver to, to kick it himself, but it would have been a kick under pressure that would have gone into there, uh, you know, not a deep entry uh, and, and potentially mopped up from the half-back line. So, um, But come the last quarter, they just really clicked. Um, some of the stats in that last quarter are incredible in terms of the dominance. It was 8-4, 52 to two goals, um, zip 12, and that first goal was, um, you know, in the first minute, I think, or the first 45 seconds, and the other one was a free kick. Oh, that should not have been paid whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we were robbed, weren't we, to 10-plus yeah. free kicks. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, look, I won't complain about that, the free kick count on the day. Yeah, that, no, that was a shocker, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We got 4-3, we got um, from turnovers, so nearly five goals from turnovers. We had plus 14 in inside 50s, plus 31 disposals, smashed them in ground ball gets. We had smashed them in um, loose ball gets, had uncontested marks all over the ground and um, doubled them in. um, We had seven to four clearances in that quarter. So we got 12 second-half clearances in that game after, um, uh, sorry, in the differential. Um, and you know, 400, 400 plus meters um, from centre bounces to their two hundred. So we just—it was such an impressive last quarter and terrific to see because it was looking like a game where we weren't going to get, you know, much of a percentage to get a fifty-point win from where it was was, um, you know, going to be really helpful at the end of the season and our inaccuracy in the first half notwithstanding. Uh, I mean, I can't recall how many times. We had lost games after being sort of close to a team for three quarters and then they just overrun us in the last um, – it's been a while since it happened, but it used to happen to us all the time. And uh, it's, It might be happening this Saturday night. Careful, yeah. <laughs> careful what well, you wish for. Well, it has happened to uh, us uh, against uh, the Tigers in 2017. I think we were 20 points up at three-quarter time and I think we – it lost half of our players and then they ended up running all over the top of us. But, uh, yes, that, that uh, Hawthorne used to do it all, all the time to us where we'd sort of stick with them and then they'd just blow us away in the last quarter. So happy to to dish it out for once. Um, let's talk about uh, Max Gorn, another masterclass, a, a 10 out of 10 in the AFL Coaches Association's award. It takes him to the top of the table. Um, uh, whether you put stock in, in that or not, um, I think it's fantastic. We've got four players in the top 20 at the moment after five rounds. I think the Bulldogs have three players in the top 20. There's a couple of teams with two, a couple with one and a few with uh, zero players in that top 20. But it's a testament to, to sort of the evenness of uh, sort of our core midfield because you've got, uh, uh, you got Gorn, Clary, Petrarca and Salem all in that uh, top top four, uh, top 20. So, yeah, uh, 
great for that. Uh, back on to Gorney, uh, 26 disposals, 19 con- contested, 24 hitouts, 9 to advantage, 10 marks, 8 contested marks, which is fantastic. Uh, 9 intercepts, 5 clearances. He's basically a ruck rover. Uh, at the moment as well, uh, getting his own clearances, uh, seven score involvement and that one sort of captain's goal that he kicked from outside 50. Uh, it's just remarkable that he is he's a dead-eyed dick in, in, you know, outside 50, can't kick them from inside 50. Um, uh, great Viney, I might start with you. Where, where does Gorney rank uh, for you as the best players you've seen play for the club? That's an interesting question because I was, well, trying to compare him to uh, the champion um, that we know of in that position, of course, Jimmy Steins. And is he now a better ruck than Jimmy Steins? Um, it's a difficult question because they're very different. Um, uh, Jim obviously changed the way that the game was played, so you could argue that Jim had more impact, but G-Max is, uh, uh, you know... Um, has had uh, extremely good form over a sustained period of time and um, he's arguably in career best form now. I think uh, Matthew Lloyd or um, one of the other um, so-called experts said that if he was picking a team from scratch, um, his first pick at the moment would be Max Um, and it's hard to argue with that. His dominance um, is just so imposing on the game. You mentioned the clearances and... uh, I sort of asked, but is he more mobile this year than he's ever been? He seems to be much better um, on sort of ground balls and below his knees than than perhaps in previous years. Um, but uh, um, look, the game on Sunday was was just about as dominant a performance as you could hope for from a, a ruckman. Um, and the Hawthorne supporter that uh, I was sitting next to was absolutely just tearing his hair out. Uh, because it seems like they uh, they found him every single time. It was it's been an incredible season. He's like I, I had a look just at his um, odds for the Brownlow. He's twenty five to one to win the Brownlow, which seems ridiculous because I can't recall four more dominant players from any player at Melbourne, let alone a ruckman. Um, that the you know the last four they've been masterclasses really. To your question, Andy, I mean, I think it take flower out of the equation and sort of put him to, to one side as the best player I've seen. I can't think of a better, um, uh, well, better start to a, to a season, that's for sure, than um, what Gorn's done this year. Um, great variety. I reckon his mobility has definitely gone up a level, but he, he was terrific last year. I thought his athleticism really uh, went up a, a, a level last year, in particular his ability to... Uh, get the ball off the deck, and um, um, but he seems to have added a level of agility this year, um, where you know he's sort of his ability to um, turn left, right, and evade tackles, and mm. um, and he's also he, he's I think he's improved his kicking. His action seems to have less straightened up, um, and his field kicking is a lot more reliable. I mean, still. Obviously, sort of technically, he's got a big way to drop the ball, but um, you know, around the ground, um, he's becoming a much more damaging round the ground player. And yeah. you know, pulling a hair out's a perfect um, analogy. The at one point, I think it was um, in the third quarter, um, perhaps it was a sort of midway through the last. They were just Hawthorne was sick of kicking it to him, and he had um, McAvoy on him most of the day. McAvoy, McAvoy is a good ruckman. 
big, tall fellow, probably as tall as Max, um, and he was out pointing him all day. And you could see at one point Hawks looked up down the members' wing, kicking to the punt road end, and, you know, there's Max Gorn again. And they'd already kicked to him half a dozen times. Um, and so, you know, I was talking in the last few weeks about our ability to, you know, to discourage, to stop that switch where, you know, we've got a defensive system that's very hard to score against. That's the that's the difference for us this year. And they, But rather than kick it to Gorn again, they switched it um, and took that risk. And that's the one where um, ultimately... I think Rivers disrupted it and after a while it sort of tic-tacked back down the ground and we ended up scoring a goal. But that was purely because when they looked down the line, there's Max Gorn um, and it, um, you know, so they, they had to try something different. But tactically, I think the way they're using um, Jackson um, and Gorn together, it, it's turned Gorn into a weapon that um, really, you know, his tap-outs are one thing. But, you know, as I said before, they're really setting up to when they do get center clearances to um, to maximize, pardon the pun, the, the opportunity of scoring or the, um, as opposed to just winning clearances. And so I think Goodwin and Uze and Williams and the coaching staff have found a way um, from last year to get more out of Max Gorn. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't, you know, say I can't speak highly enough. Um, I think the other thing that, that stands out for me this year is I didn't question his leadership last year, but I sort of my my query was: Is he too friendly? I guess, or I don't know, is he too much of a peacemaker? Or, um, but he's um, been phenomenal this year from leadership perspective. Last week he kicked that goal when um, after Smith brought them back within twelve points. This week after we couldn't kick straight, and we missed. You know, Jones had missed that sitter from in front in the previous quarter. He goes back from sixty meters and you know, launches a 60-metre bomb straight over the top of the umpire's hat. So, yeah, incredible performance. Two weeks in a row where those goals were, were sort of critical in the context of the game, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And he's a funny bugger still, even in the height of, you know, the pressure and the, after he scored the, you can't see at the ground, but when I watched on the replay, his reaction to the crowd after he <laughs> kicked that goal, um, you know, like I think you said, great finding last week. They all seem to be enjoying their footy, which it's, um, you know, I think the Tigers have shown that that's half the battle, isn't it? I think it's an interesting point that you made in regards to, to Jackson sort of, uh, uh, you know, unleashing uh, Max to become a, another weapon. And also in, in terms of, uh, you know, clubs have to sort of adjust the way they play on the fly almost because when they look up, they're going to see Max down the line and they're going to say, we're not kicking to Max down the line. They're going to have to go elsewhere. And, you know, obviously they haven't been training uh, to do that. So it's going to put other teams off their game. So, yes, it's a good weapon uh, to have. Um, let's let's talk about our uh, back line, uh, Hawthorne's uh, uh, forward line. You know, was never looking like a daunting process, a prospect uh, before the game. And, and, you know, I'll mention Jake Lever just once again had a day out, uh, you know, taking the game on. He's had 11 intercepts, six six of them from, from his eight marks, continuing to display, you know, his outstanding leadership in, in marshalling the troops in defence. And, you know, I thought, um, you know, with May going down, uh, you know, it, it might sort of upset sort of Jake's role in the team, but it really didn't. And Salem too was outstanding in defence. He's racked up 30 disposals. Likewise, Trent Rivers uh, with 10 intercepts and 
A big welcome back to Michael Hibbert, the 21 possessions, nine intercepts, 76 disposal efficiency. You know, he really showed glimpses of his All-Australian form and he'll be better for the run uh, and it just adds a lot to our, our defence. Uh, I love his sort of that that first few, um, you know, when he sort of gets the ball and, and gets out of the blocks, that first uh, few few steps is very quick. Uh, we'll get in a second. I'll, I'll ask you for your thoughts on Petty's game, but uh, B-Man, you wanted to say anything about any of the, the backmen, um, particular setup? Yeah, that? I mean, yeah, banged on it a bit about it a bit this year, but our defensive structure and our uh, defensive zone is just... Really, I think the sort of it's the starting point for our game plan, and and this is my perspective is it's the best um, uh, defensive system in the league at the moment, and the stats in terms of the the difficulty of the opposition scoring against us backs that up. They scored, I think, their fifth goal at the ten minute mark or so of the second quarter. They only scored two more for uh, was it two more for the game, I think, or three after that point um, and, you know, arguably a couple of their goals in the first quarter, as I said, I think they were a little bit to do with the that back six being a little bit um, unsettled, which is understandable with the two players coming in in Petty and, um, as I mentioned before, Hibbert. Um, if George is listening, um, he was spot on last week with his assessment of what Hibbert brings to the table. I was surprised. Uh, he looks super fit and he looks like he's almost as quick as he was in 2018. And, um, you know, after them taking a little while to get used to the that, that setup, they were super stingy after halfway through that second quarter. Um, you know, any of their goals were really ones that you know, you're always going to leak some goals, of course. Um, and Hibbert's um, effort to run down and um, spoil a, a Wingard, which ended up going up the ground and, um, you know, basically a 12-point turnaround, that arguably was the game then and there. Um, and also his efforts just to spoil in other packs. So I, I, I was really not surprised, but um, a little surprised, I guess, that uh, Jetta was dropped. I thought he um, played admirably and I was a bit concerned about Hibbard sort of not being really a one-on-one player. But, um, yeah, as I said, George was spot on about that and it does probably raise the, you know, the idea that Jets is going to struggle to get back into the team. So he was terrific. Lever, I think one of the things that stands out for me now is one, how more confident he is um, with his marking um, and how much better he is lateral with his lateral movement. And both of those things are probably a function of um, now, you know, being confident in his um, knees and, you know, having a couple of seasons of fitness to get over the um, the ACL that he had. Um, he, he has just been terrific the last two weeks and, um, you know, that leadership stuff is you know, all that pointing and when he first came to the club, he's quite demonstrative and um, you know, when you back it up with the way he plays, he can point all he wants. He can yell at other players all he wants. So, um, you know, he's been really terrific and growing into the club too. I think he's um, seems to be, you know, a general back there. Um, so, yeah, I thought the back six were terrific once they got their shape and um, sort of got a sense of where they were. And, again, I was really impressed with Tom Watson. Um, he got outpointed, I think, a couple of times, but where he sort of got caught. But that they were almost 
sort of the exception that proved the rule this year because he was struggling a few times last year or often actually with those one-on-ones but he's you know it was a reminder of how little he struggled with one-on-ones this year the couple of times he did sort of lose himself um yeah and he he's another player who looks um thinner and um sort of he's dropped a bit of size DZFR in the chat room says, how do you not get tired of watching Hibbo's gut running, uh, the effort to lunge and save the goal right on the line uh, and then back it up 10 seconds later by linking up in the middle of the ground was phenomenal and I've, I've got to agree, I'd forgotten about that and that was fantastic. We were probably lucky not to get a free kick for the that, uh, you know, taking out the knees or whatever, uh, but that was a fantastic save and that's why I don't sort of like that below the knees free kick because how can you... How can you penalise a goal a guy for for saving a goal, uh, basically? Um, but yeah, that gut running was fantastic. Uh, great, Barney. Want to add anything about our, our backline? No, just to say that it's great to see Hibbo um, back playing great footy. Uh, had plenty of critics on the board who who had sort of basically written him off and said his best footy was behind him. But um, he certainly uh, certainly proved them wrong on Sunday. Yeah. And Dee's efforts spot on. Actually, I was going to um, say that after he so after he took, I thought he took the ball, but anyway, I'm obviously biased. Um, and but he got up and he got, I think it was a couple of possessions or at least one possession later. So it wasn't as if he got the ball and then that was the link in the chain. He got it off. Uh, I think you know, I forget who got it out of the pocket, but he was one or two possessions in the chain further up. And um, so to get up. Do that run, get up and run back. Shows someone who's one desperate, two's got fitness and he's got that pace. Jetta wouldn't have been able to to do either of those, and I think that's the sort of challenge for Jets. He's lost that pace, but in that that scoring chain, there was another excellent bit of play um, pressure wise by Cozzy because we actually almost turned that ball over and should have uh, that chain should have broken down, but Cozzy um, put enough pressure on to for us to win it back, um, and so he you know deep down the ground and um, uh, it. It was a fantastic goal ending up. And I didn't realise until I watched the replay um, that uh, Jackson, who really shouldn't have gone for the mark in the goal square, he should have blocked for um, um, Tom McDonald. He was awarded a free kick. Um, and then McDonald, they called uh, advantage. And McDonald was arguing that, well, you can't really call it advantage. I barely can tell, hear the whistle. I kicked it. So, um, but yeah, it was good that we ended up getting that goal. Yeah, I was a bit confused. I wasn't sure whether he was paid the free kick or paid the mark because if he was paid the mark, then they can't play on. Free kick. Well, that didn't really look like one to me, but... No, that's why I was confused. Um, uh, if anyone wants to call us on the show, 03 9016 That's 03 9016 um, I'll ask your thoughts on Petty's game. Obviously, the goal was uh, to give him time to gel with the defence uh, going into the Tigers game. And, well, uh, there's all a good possibility that uh, may may be available uh, based on some news um, uh, from... Um, from uh, Burgess today, he did indicate that uh, May um, has, you know, passed the concussion timeline, uh, as they put it. So he's passed that, and he's just got to get through Wednesday training th- uh, training session. I-, I reckon he's a lock uh, to play, um, but if not, Petty's there. Thoughts on Petty, uh, B man? Um, he was a little bit. I thought he was a little bit shaky early on. Um, 
and you know probably for the first quarter and a half or so um once he found his feet um i really rate petty and um i said last year on the podcast that from my my thought was he was probably the only player um young player not in the uh, ones who hadn't been you know through injury it wasn't being able to play that was a potential a grader um i've since um put jordan into that group but um you know i really rate um, Patty that highly and um, once he got his sea legs a bit uh, I thought he was terrific and he's um, he, he's great one-on-one he's aggressive with his sort of um, zoning off and he'll you know he goes at contests uh, and he took a just fantastic mark about 10 minutes into the th- third quarter which was just a pure class where the, I think Lever was in that pack as well and um, you know marks like that down back uh, we've struggled with them up until the last you know year or so, and um, it, it was a just terrific mark. So he's got a bright future. It's going to be really hard to see where they all fit in down there, and um, you know the same problem up forward. Obviously, we'll probably talk about that a bit later. Um, to you know, it's a good problem to have. But he, but Tomlinson um, and him apparently were vying for that um, tall back position, and Tomlinson on the back of perhaps a sort of. A, early pre-season injury to Petty and then, you know, really good training um, and pre-season from Tomlinson got the berth and, um, you know, he's probably, well, we'll keep it for sure, you'd think. Um, where that leaves Petty, he'll get his chance, obviously, but, um, you know, he might be back at Casey this week if May comes back. So I'll, I'll ask, uh, I'll put it out there, uh, just say May's not available, who lines up on the on Rewalt and Lynch? Um Grapeviney, any thoughts on that? If it's if it's Petty and, and Tomlinson, um. Um, hmm. who goes to who? Because uh, you would think May would have gone. May would have gone uh, to Lynch. I would have thought. Um, uh, what's uh, how does Tomlinson compare to Petty height wise? I don't know, but Tomlinson's uh, quite tall. I saw him at a player sponsor thing. He's like the same height as T-Mac. I saw them walk past. And, look, he did a, did a good job on Hawkins um, after um, after May went off, so um, perhaps it'll, it'll go that way. Yeah, I, I reckon that's how. He's strong enough for uh, Lynch. I think that um, Petty's a bit more uh, mobile and um, probably, you know, you, I reckon Tomlinson might be a bit sort of slow um, for for Rewald, whose go is leading up the ground. It seems to me that that would be the um, the, the best sort of combination of those players. All right, let's uh, let's move on uh, to the forward line. Uh, uh, before we go into the massive selection dilemma that we're going to have uh, uh, for Anzac Eva, let's talk about T Mac's game. I I thought he played a fantastic game this week, and on the whole, he's had a solid start to the season. Uh, he's more than putting his hand up for a spot in this team, uh, as we know that uh, in the, you know last year wasn't the greatest of of seasons for him. And um, you know, I think he was even put on the um, he, he was put on the um, you know trade table, I, I believe. But uh, it's great to have him. Twenty-two disposals, a, a massive ten marks, eleven score involvements, two goals. Uh, T Mac, his importance to the team is is just phenomenal. Yeah, and he played that uh, he played that link up role really well. Um, so plenty of marks up around sort of half forward, 
Um, and yeah, look at um, again the numbers. The numbers sort of speak for themselves, and uh, um, it's been a, a real turnaround um, for for someone who was um, right on the uh, right on the out. Yeah, another player who's lost weight, trimmed down, um, and you know if you think about the sort of Melbourne's um, tactical shape under um, Goodwin. In 2018, the role he's playing now is the role he was essentially playing in 2018, running up and down that wing, you know, running their defender into the ground, basically, taking marks all along the wing, but, you know, being a get-out player on the halfback flank and lead-up player from the half-forward to that wing. Um, that's he's, that's how he's played all season. He, he's been terrific, and it, how could you drop him? Like he's, you know, it's um, been fantastic performance in terms of his ability to be involved. He had eleven score involvements. Still, I'm not sure if you noted that, Andy, but that's that's a lot for someone who is playing those high. You know, he's not inside fifty all the time. So, um, twenty two disposals again. But I think didn't he have eleven marks last week? So it's twenty one marks in two weeks. That's a, you know, that's good going for a player of his size, and he really. Because he's the way he's moving now, he's hitting those contests at speed, so it's terrific. So it looks sometimes that you know we're not going to get a mark, and he's hitting the pack and grabbing it. And um, I, the other thing I've been impressed with um, is his body language has been heaps better in the last two three weeks. And um, I suspect someone's probably had a word in his ear, and I, I really respect the fact he seems to have turned that around. And there are a few times where he could have. Um, uh, sort of gone off where he might have in the past. One was Jordan coming back into his leading lane. I don't know if you recall that, but hello. Oh, sorry, we we've got we've got a call. I apologise for that, B man. No I the call. Um, uh, who have we got uh, on the line? Welcome to the show. Hello, welcome to the show. Uh, who have we got on the line? Oh, this is, uh, don't make me angry. I haven't rang up for a while yet. Oh, hey, how you going, mate? Oh, right. I haven't been, I haven't been able to post online because I was naughty uh, making my political views. So, um, but back in May, so <laughs> few shots to be fired when I'm back, I think. Okay, um, well, just make sure you keep those uh, politics uh, to yourself. <laughs> it's probably the one thing. I don't know, no politics tonight. Forget about politics. Um, don't get angry. Don't make yeah. me angry. Sorry? You don't get angry and don't make other people angry. No, no. no. Well, I mean, last year I was very angry. I was very angry and um, wanted to ring up a few times, but uh, very angry at um, the criticism some players have got that um, that uh, I pointed out that were, that those people are going to eat their words. People like um, Viney, uh, big cause to trade Viney or... Or Brayshaw, we kept both of them, and I think um, Viney's showing his worth. How good, he, how good he really is once he got over his injuries. Yeah, that's right. There were a, a, sort of a lot of people writing him off. Um, I, I think he's been fantastic this year, and I reckon Gus has been as well. He was um, uh, fantastic. And speaking of marking, he took a couple of really excellent marks this week. Uh, yeah. He's just been- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Well, just playing, playing well. He's doesn't he say hard as they come, and um, we just can't wait for those uh, 
for those forward. We actually haven't had a forward line this year so far. So for a team without a forward line, we're scoring pretty pretty well, don't you think? Yeah, well, we were, uh, you know, going into the year, we were sort of, uh, you know, trying to wait out, um, you know, uh, Wiedemann and uh, Brown to be ready. And in a minute, we're going to talk about sort of the selection dilemmas for this week and who comes in. Um, you know, it was all about just waiting till those guys were ready and uh, we were hoping we could just get through. Um, and we were able to in the end. And, um, yeah, it's it's been good. We've been able to score. And it hasn't just been the forwards. It's, uh, you know, we've had sort of a contribution sort of from midfielders as well. Um, uh, don't make me angry. Your phone connection is quite loud. So I might, uh, if, unless you've got something else to add, I, I might let you go. Yep. Uh, no, and uh, I think we can say just one thing. Um, I think we're very lucky that uh, T-Mac wasn't traded away. Otherwise, wouldn't have any four targets. Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Given the injuries that we've had, had we given T Mac away, uh, yeah, it would have been uh, would have been a disaster. Um, don't make me angry. Thank you for your call. Uh, it's just a, a, a bad connection. So we've got some feedback coming through, uh, but I do appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks. I, I think that's actually a really good point. It was we're lucky to have Tom Max still on the list, seeing we did shop him, and. Um, We've had a bit of luck this season, sort of the um, worms turned a bit with our luck. We've had, you know, last week even Mitch Lewis, their best forward, out suspended. We had uh, Gary Rowan and Dangerfield the previous week suspended. We've had some sort of fortuitous injuries that teams we've come up against have uh, had, you know, not be, you know, in the Giants game, half their team was um, out by half time. And um, even this week, I, th- I, I think that's. Uh, oh, no, sorry, I heard tonight the Swans player, uh, sorry, Swans player, Buddy, is out for three, four weeks. So. Yeah, he'll, he'll miss he'll miss our game. Um, uh, even this week, uh, Mitchell Lewis from Hawthorne uh, was suspended, wasn't wasn't yeah. playing. Yeah. Um, so we have been lucky, but once again, you can only play who you're playing. And if, yep. <laughs> what can I say? We've had bad luck in the past and... Um, we're reaping the the rewards now. Uh, let's uh, let's talk through this selection dilemma that we have this week. It's the type of problem that uh, you want to have at a footy club. Uh, Casey have smashed the Box Hill Hawks by fifty one points, and and Sam Wiedemann's kicked what, seven goals uh, two. Ben Brown's kicked three goals one. Uh, I don't think it will come as a surprise to anyone that Mitch Brown will probably have to make way for at least one of. Weed or Ben Brown, uh, despite his two goals, two from six marks, uh, and, and you know uh, Mitch Brown is certainly a handy backup to have in your your pocket. And I I do like the guy. I think he's he's played he's played a good role and he, he for us when he's come into the team. And and um, you know he's a good guy to have in that role if the proverbial hits the fan. So um, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, so the question, fellas, um, and great fine. I'll go to you first. Uh, is can we play, and we've actually, uh, can we play three Talls and Jackson and the resting Gorn in the forward line and perhaps Bailey Fritch because Burgess also mentioned that Bailey is a test despite the fact that I did see a photo of him that the club put out in the gym and he still had sort of quite a heavy brace on his wrist but there's a possibility that he might be available for selection. So... You know, uh, can we play three Talls and Jackson and Gorn and maybe Fritch in the forward line? I, I think that's I think that's too much, uh, Andy. 
So what what's the what's the setup this week? Uh, let's say Bailey Fritch can't play this week. Well, what what do we do? Um, what do you do? Well, firstly, um, I thank um, I give thanks that I don't have to make the decision. Um, but look, it's um, it's a uh, remarkably good problem to have, but a really tricky one to solve because um, you know it's hard to ignore Sam's seven goals. Um, equally, uh, you know, um, Ben Brown um, seems to be in good nick too and ready to play. And um, three is is fine from him, but uh, Tommy Mack is doing a great job, and I just. You know he can't be um, uh, he can't be dropped from this team um, on no, his I output. I don't think he's getting dropped this week. So, uh, it's and I don't think Jackson can be dropped um, because of what he's doing for Max. Um, I don't think um, all those for uh, you know all those talls can play there with Bailey. So um, this week, uh, I'd say um, Brown comes out. And Wiedemann comes in, and remarkably, um, B Brown spends another week at Casey. I can't believe I'm saying it, but what, what's I just your re- can't see an alternative. I, I don't think that um, Ben Brown can be promoted ahead of Sam if Sam's had such a such a good game. And look, admittedly, I haven't watched the Casey game, but seven goals is seven goals. Yeah, but um, you know this, and I'm not. That's not. I'm not taking anything away from from Sam. VFL uh, uh, is a different beast to AFL. Uh, I'm not sure how Ben Brown has has lined up before on Richmond and what his his record is against the Tigers. Um, and I'm not. I, I I get the feeling that maybe they don't think Ben Brown uh, is ready yet. Maybe perhaps fitness, not as in aerobic fitness. Um, uh, wise, but just knee wise, so that might keep him another week in the twos. But I think I would have, despite the seven from Wiedemann, if they're both ready to go, go I, I would have Brown before before Wiedemann. I, I don't fully trust Wiedemann yet. I, I'm waiting for him to be able to clunk those marks and and have that breakout game or breakout year because I think he's got the ability and I'm hoping he'll get it, but I just haven't seen it on a consistent basis. You know, I think last year was a couple that he had sort of a run of games where he was sort of averaging about two goals a game and that's that's good. Um, but I don't know. I think I'd have Ben Brown before him, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think you're correct. I think Wiedemann will get in uh, ahead of Ben Brown this week. Uh, ben Man? Yeah, I think Jackson – Leave him. I think it's easier to leave him out of the discussion of being a, a, a tall forward. He's when when we've got all of our um, bigs um, available for selection. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it about how many tools you can have down there. But um, I think that he can play high half forward um, and rotate off the half forward flank. Basically, he's so athletic. He's so good um, below his feet, and in some respects. It'll be helpful for him because he'll get the smaller, um, you know, defender than he otherwise would at the moment where he's paying deep. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, Brown played a pretty serviceable job and is a great sort of reminder of the importance of having a player um, like Brown on your list. 
um, and came in and did what he had to do, didn't he? He um, uh, kicked straight when he had his chance. He was good on the lead. He didn't have huge stats to halftime, but again, like the rest of the team sort of picked up in that area after halftime. Um, I, I would think that maybe they'd want to give Brown a little, you know, a couple more weeks, given the injury he was coming off. Um, I know Weed's also coming off an injury, but it's hip, isn't it? Not knee. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's probably right. Great point. Is- no, Weed's, Weed's injury was a leg injury. Um, I don't think he broke his leg. but Yeah, which is a bit sort of different to the knee in terms of the – I could see him coming in for Brown. I think Frida will come in because they'll be they'll be keen to get their best um, team on the park and he's really important to the um, setup and structure down there and um, the query will be where does that leave Melksham. So uh, I'm pretty confident just from the way I've heard Goodwin talk and um, the discussion around Frida that he'll come in and I'm pretty confident May will too for the same reason. Um, so then you've got Frida, let's say that's the case, you've got Frida and potentially Weed coming back in, um, then probably Brown definitely goes out. Um, as I said, Jackson can play high half forward, so that's not a major major issue. But, um, you know, it leaves, I guess, a, a question mark over Melksham, but it's hard to drop him with three goals and two of the best kicks in board that you'll see. And it's-, it's limited, isn't it, though, the output from Melksham? The things that he does... Um, uh, you know, are, are all quality, and there's there's real silk attached to them, but it's it's a limited contribution, isn't it? Um, he's not involved for large periods of the game, and his defensive work rate is um, usually leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, he's only had eleven possessions, though. And importantly, three goals, one give me, but yeah, give me, but a goal nonetheless. And, uh, you know, I've always said if you're playing forward and not getting a heap of possessions, then you need to either be scoring when you do or at the very least being involved in scoring chains. And, yeah, he sort of did that both with the three goals. He had nine score involvements. And uh, if George is listening, I think he might because I thought I saw him in the chat room before. Um, he'll be he'll fall off his chair when I tell him he laid three tackles. Um we're sort of used to seeing zero uh, from him. Um, yeah, be interesting to see whether if Fritch is, is available, whether he keeps his spot and he might. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Someone's got to come out. Um, be interesting. Um, well, let's uh, move on. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to, you know, rather than focus again on, on the performances of like a Clary, 30 disposals, 18 contested, Seven marks, a game high, eight tackles, 26 pressure acts and nine score involvements. Or an Ed Langdon, you know, who had a quiet day, just 17 disposals and three goals and still the recruit of last year, in my opinion. Uh, How good was that one on the run? Oh, it was fantastic. He, he sort of was looking looking to give it mm, off. Yep. And then, no, nah, I'll just have a shot of goals. No one to give it to uh, and kicked it. And um, it, yeah, I think he's kicking for goals been quite good this year, actually. It, um, it has been. And just on that goal... And that really showed our fitness, that goal. They were cooked. So the problem with that game plan that they were employing, which was clagging up there, our forward half, and sort of really just playing an ultra-defensive game to keep the – they ran out of gas. And I think it was – was it McDonald who kicked it across to it? Um, He took ages to decide to kick it to him and he was free for ages. Eventually, you know, no one was going to man him up. 
Um, and I, have, I can't recall the Hawthorne player who was behind Langdon. He could barely um, get a run up to try and chase him. And Langdon just figured, well, I'm going to walk straight into inside 50 and kick this. Under pretty much zero pressure, that was... That's the sort of goal that if you're a D's fan, that was happening a few years ago when the young players are running out of puff, you just sort of hang your head, don't you? Um, but that was only about 10 minutes into the last quarter. They were they were totally cooked and we were still running on top of the ground. And um, I heard him talk about, um, I know we're not supposed to be talking about Langdon, but um, Goody <laughs> encouraging him to be more aggressive with his kicking and, and kicking for goals. So... Um, not a huge numbers in terms of percentage, but three goals from the wing um, is not a bad uh, effort. Uh, yes, we're all, we're also not going to be talking about track. His two goals uh, was a bit quieter uh, this week, but still contributes. Uh, Cozzy, his 18 possessions, a goal-saving tackle and two goals, three, mind you. Um you know, I thought we'd talk about some of the plays we don't usually bring up. Um, so we're not in- ignoring those players for any any reason. But uh, let's talk about some of the other guys. Uh, James Jordan. Um, I thought he had a very good game uh, on the weekend. He's developing very nicely. And I think the more games that he can string together learning at the feet of our core midfield will benefit him and the team in the long run. I, for some reason, I see his name and Sparrow as well constantly being bandied about online, whether on Demonland or on various social media groups, as being a player that should be dropped to make way for so and so. And I, I couldn't disagree with more in this uh, case. I understand maybe with Sparrow because he's been the sub a few weeks to let, give him a game in the twos just to get get a full game into him. But you know, twenty Jordan twenty possessions at eighty percent disposal efficiency from seventy percent game time is very very good. Um, big man? I find him a really um, interesting player in terms of I, I miss him in the game. He, he doesn't stand out and those numbers are really surprising when um, I saw him on the running sheet and he had a quick look at his stats. I was super surprised he had 20 possessions. Um, he's really unobtrusive the way he plays and um, I think the key stat that you just read out is 80% disposal efficiency. Um, you know, as obviously as I've talked about, is it's a critical area for us in terms of a weakness. Um, that's what you need. You need if you're going to get 20 um, possessions, and you know, um, I don't know how many kicks is that what he had, but uh, um, yeah, you've got to be hitting targets. And the other thing he makes, he makes really good decisions with his disposals. Um, they seem to be playing him almost like a sort of deep half-back flank. When you look at his heat map, that's where he's getting, you know, 75% of his possessions are off the half-back flank. Um, so he's obviously part of that defensive stru- structure, that extra sort of layer outside the back six. Um, he's obviously playing a, a specific role. Um, my query a little bit would be he's a young fella. Um, I guess so. He's, he's in his third season, isn't he? Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, so I guess he's sort of getting up. He should be getting up there in fitness. But um, my query would be, you know, will he need a rest at some stage? But um, after a quiet uh, week last week, he, he, as you say, those numbers are really solid. Um, and there's Luke Jackson. Uh, we sort of touched on him at the, at the moment, but I thought he played a very good game. He has had 17 disposals, five marks, eight score involvement, and most impressively, impressively for a young ruckman, he's had 22 hitouts and six to advantage. Um, and I, 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 I'm not 100% sure. I think that's the most hitouts he's had 
um, since he's come into the team and perhaps he's playing more uh, time in the middle. Um, his on-the-job training is coming along very nicely. I, I can't wait till he starts clunking some more marks and hitting the scoreboard more, but I, I'm very impressed and think we have a future, and I'm sorry, I know we have a future star on our hands, uh, Great Viney. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, sorry, I just uh, I just was paying attention to something else at the moment. I've got the um, the uh, Brownlow equivalent for the AFLW um, is on, so um, I was just paying a bit of attention to that. But well, don't let us keep you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, keeping an eye on Karen Paxman, who's in third place at the moment. So um, it's it's work related. <laughs> it hasn't got a name yet that um, award, has it? No. Uh, it'll probably get called the Aaron Phillips uh, Award at some point. Yeah. Daisy Pierce um, could get her name on it too, potentially, given her contribution to the game. But, um, but Jackson. Back on to yeah. Jackson. Look, the, um, the remarkable thing is that there are some people on the board who have written him off as, um, as a forward and say that he's not ever going to do anything um, special up forward. Um, I find that incredibly hard to believe that anyone could come to that conclusion after so few games and so early in his career um, and someone who's uh, um, uh, already had such an impact. So, um, look, he, he probably, uh, um, and you could say the same of Trent Rivers, probably gets overshadowed in all the excitement around Cozzy, um, but um, yeah, there's there's plenty to cheer about uh, watching Luke go about his business at the moment. He, he He's seems got an to incredibly be getting, leap on him, doesn't he? He does, and his ruck craft is really um, improving. Um, he's getting more time in the run, uh, sorry, in the ruck, and he's getting a bigger run in the ruck. And as I said before, tactically, it's become really important in terms of how they're able to use Max as a weapon forward back. Um, and, you know, that you, we're losing very little when he goes into the ruck, whereas uh, most other teams you look at, say, the Dogs have got English when he comes out and, you know, who, who goes in for the Dogs when English goes out. So that's an opportunity for a team to sort of rest back momentum potentially when English goes out of the ruck. There's no chance really with the sort of form Jackson is uh, is in in the um, centre. And, and then you've got Max going deep. So, you know, that goal that we talked about Max kicked, was because Jackson was taking the centre square duties for that setup that came, you know, with him playing for, as a um, forward player, Max. Um, so, yeah, he's. I've said it before, but he's. I think he's going to be a, a star of the game, and I think he'll get stronger. It's so easy to forget he's only, you know, in his tenth, eleventh game of footy. I think sort of technically he seems to be getting underneath the ball a bit um, and finding it, you know, in marking contests, um, whether that's being pushed under by the stronger defender or he's just not timing them right. But, um, you know, he's a ruckman first, forward second. Um, And as I said, if he's going to be playing a high half forward with their third um, best tall defender, then look out. That's when he's really going to come into his own. He's going to – I was watching the Eagles play and they've got that young fella, Oscar Allen, um, he gets their third best defender behind Darling and um, Kennedy. Um, he's a fantastic player. Um, you know, he's a couple of years ahead of where Jackson is. In two years' time, um, Jackson will be equally as damaging as Oscar Allen is now up forward. So, um, yeah, I'm in no rush for for that. 
Um, uh, let's talk uh, Neil Bullen and, and Charlie Spargo because neither neither really troubled the stats man nor the scorekeeper. Um, in fact, I barely noticed either of them uh, for most of the match. Uh, their forward defensive pressure, which has been a hallmark of their games this year, was was down this week in terms of tackles. Uh, however, you don't throw out the uh, baby with the bathwater. And up until this week, they've been fantastic with their pressure acts as well as their involvement in scoring chains and hitting the scoreboards themselves. So one quiet game, you know, does not really justify any changes there. But uh, I, I saw what are we seeing in the uh, Chat room has said Spargo's a funny one. He can be brilliant, but he can be average. And he uh, didn't have his best game this week, but um, I think they've been good in terms of pressure this year, uh, big man. Both been fantastic, both uh, players. And um, uh, who's the third one? They uh, are really important from our game plan in terms of that for the inside 50, uh, 50 Spargo uh, Nibbler, and of course, Cozzy is the other one. Um, Lucifer Hero was noting in the um, on Demonland today that his stats are, are pretty low in a lot of categories. Um, Neil Bullen and um, um, she makes a good point with that. Um, I think he's structurally really important to the team. He, he doesn't run the furthest in the team, um, but I suspect if there was a sort of way of measuring burst running, um, he would probably be you know up there with Langdon and um, in terms of repeat sprints. Um, I looked on the back of that um, sort of the comments from Lucifer Hero. I looked at his AFL Pro Vision um, ANVs, and he gets up and down the ground, and he must have got 60-70% of his possessions up on the halfback flank. So we talk about his forward pressure, but he's getting most of his possessions up the ground, and um, you know he's got the the signature. Neil Bullen sucking the wind in and out, and that's because he's constantly redlining. I, I think in terms of his fitness, so um, he's really important player in terms of how we set up. We set up our defensive web as well, even though he's a forward. Uh, just that running up and down the ground and putting pressure on. In in that goal that we talked about, that um, where we did get inside forward fifty, he ran a long way to get to that contest and um, track and him tackled that player. Track ended up getting the um, free kick. Uh, you know that's that's basically the sort of template for their play forward of center, and um, I think he's a really important player. And it's a bit same with Spargo because the stats that sort of everyone looks at because you have to they're the ones given to us the disposals and contested possessions and inside fifties that aren't what the um, you know they're not their KPIs for those players. Uh, it's the pressure acts and the things that are hard to see. So again, you know we've talked about it before, but. It's really without fully knowing what the role is for each of those players, it's hard to sort of, um, you know, work out how successful they are on any given week. But there's no doubt in my mind that um, Spargo and um, Neil Bullen are really important players to the way we set up and play and neither are coming out of that, that team. Um, let's talk about our heart and soul uh, of the club, uh, what an, uh, Nathan Jones, what an incredible effort from an amazing servant of this football club, 299 games on the verge of his 300th this week, uh, 141 goals, captain from uh, 2014 to 2019, still an important leader and mentor uh, at the club, three-time Keith Bluey Trust got medalist, bringing up the hat-trick uh, for 2012, 2013, 2014, is also a part of a select group of players who have been nominated for two AFL Rising Stars in 2006 and 7. 
This guy absolutely bleeds red and blue. He's carried this team on his shoulders for so many years during pretty bleak times and no one would have faulted him for seeking success elsewhere, which has been mentioned many times. And uh, But he's as loyal as they come and we'll celebrate him on the big stage on, on Saturday night. Um, so where, where to from here for, for Nathan Jones? Um, you know, I saw this week there's a segment of the Demons community um, who, whether rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, suggest, you know, think that he's done. Uh, some were even so bold as to suggest that he shouldn't be gifted a, this milestone game uh, in what is such an important match for the club. Uh, one such post even had the audacity to suggest that we should drop him this week based on his performance against the Hawks and then let him play 300 in Tassie. And I have no words for that suggestion. Um, uh, I recognise that this week wasn't Chunk's best contribution for the club, but I personally, I firmly believe he deserves the celebration this week. Um, maybe that's my heart speaking. Um uh, you know, I don't think he'd be the difference between winning and losing and perhaps the boys will lift to another level to befit the occasion. Um, uh, taking any motion out of it, how, how do you see Jonesy's contribution and his role this year and, and what do you think his role is in, in the future? And, uh, boys, if you want to uh, say anything about Jonesy, uh, by all means, go for it. Uh, great Barney. Uh, it was interesting to note on um, Jonesy's, on Jerry Jones's Instagram account, um, some comments from Paul Ruse saying that it is an incredible achievement from one of the best players he's ever played with or coached, um, which I thought was very high praise um, from uh, from someone who probably chooses their words quite carefully, I'd imagine. Um, and look, he had a poor game on the weekend. I think even he'd concede that, but... Um, absolutely under no circumstances should he, could he, or would he be dropped for this uh, weekend. Um, I think it was, um, I can't remember the poster who made the point that, you know, even if he sort of did go completely on merit and there was someone knocking the door down who could take his spot, well, the difference between that player's output and what Jones is likely to give is, is probably marginal. Um, but the uh, the lift and the inspiration that we'll get from having him out there um, on such a big stage for such a big game um, is 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 probably greater than that. So um, absolutely, he should play um, long term or sort of short term, medium term. I guess um, it's all the one thing when you're this close to the end as Jonesy is. Um, I don't see that he's going to play too much more this year. Um, I note that, uh, uh, as I say, I didn't see the Casey game, but apparently Toby Bedford had a um, had a very good game uh, in the twos, so I could see him, uh, him coming in soon. Um, I guess what remains uh, for Jonesy is whether he'll beat the 306 games um, record set by uh, David Meats. Um, wouldn't it be great if he finished on 306 and the two of them shared um, the record, um, I think. Uh, I think that yeah, that it have a nice sort of uh, symbolism to it. Two champions of the club sharing the games, uh, games played record, and I could potentially see if Jonesy thought that he wasn't going to play anymore. Um, I could potentially see him bowing out on three oh six and deliberately not. Um, besting Meats's record 
Uh, I think that's um, – I think supporters would, would like that. I think the symbolism of that would be nice, but I reckon Chunk would want to get the uh, – Get the record to himself. <laughs> Why not uh, get that, uh, have that extra accolade, uh, be man? Fantastic servant of the club. I was thinking um, he when he lined up for goal, his uh, thighs aren't getting any smaller. There. <laughs> his chunk is the uh, most apt nickname I think I've uh, ever come across. He, it, I think just on Jones's career, I think it's, He's had an unbelievable career at Melbourne. Um, I could not respect him more um, for what he's um, provided to the D's. You know, it's been an awful fifteen years of you know in the last days, uh, the last you know decade and a half at the footy club. Um, how long has he been at the club, Andy? Did you say twelve years? Two thousand and six was his first oh, year so because uh, he played finals uh, in that series and then didn't play finals again until twenty eighteen. Yeah, so that's fifteen years. Um, I really admire um, a lot, a lots of lots of things about him, but in, one of the things I really respect that is how he, um, much better his kicking is now than it was for the first two or three years of uh, his career. I, I think it's a really difficult thing for AFL players to improve dramatically because they come in, um, they've already got that sort of technical flaws. They don't have a huge amount uh, of opportunity to work on it uh, on technique alone at the AFL level because they've got so much workload in terms of fitness um, but he is a much more accurate kick than he was uh, and a much deeper sort of more penetrating kick he's, he's probably gone off the that a little bit now um, but through the dark days um, his willingness to to get in there and compete and fight um, I've always admired players who um, uh, play well in losing sides uh, always love that about Robbie Flower always love that about Greg Wells Sugar Healy was never the most talented footballer uh, who played at Melbourne, but was similar to Jonesy in his refusal to, um, you know, to lie down or, or have an off week, and um, y- you can't you can't pay, um, you know, you can't be any more sort of respectful for than that sort of performance. And um, I'm not quite as sort of convinced that you know he will bow out. Actually, um, it's a bit hard to know. Again, similar with Neil Bullen, what he's role is he's very flexible in the way the coaches can use him. He played 70% game time, didn't have a great um, game, but he can go onto the halfback flank, he can go into the middle when needed, he can go up forward. Um, I think as this season progresses and the younger players like the Jordans and the Swallows and the Bedfords and the um, you know those sorts of players start to tire in the middle of winter and you know someone with his durability and strength and um, you know his athletic preparation. He's the sort of player that a, that a team needs, and um, you know it wouldn't shock me at all if he um, gets well past the three hundred and six games. Actually, and you know I think it would just be crazy this week. So I actually don't like the sort of suggestion that he's getting this game because it's the milestone in the big night. He's, he deserves his spot, um, but as you said, Greg Finney, it's also. A, a fantastic synergy. Um, I hope they don't overuse the sort of phrase "he's a warrior" for the the club, but I, um, I, I'll bet we'll hear that a few hundred times in the lead up to Saturday night. But you know, that's just another thing for again. It's one of those things this season's A lot of things are going right for us this season. Touch wood. Um, that's another another one that Jonesy's getting to play his three hundredth. 
Um, you know, once they cross the line, that's all forgotten probably, but still in the build-up for, for a big night. Um, you know, 70,000 people after last year's COVID and Jonesy playing his 300 off um, five wins to start the season. That sets up for a, you know, very highly charged night. Um, and, yeah, I think there will be a lot of Melbourne fans who will forget the sort of five zip and all of that and when it comes time for him running out on the ground on Saturday night, we'll... You know, maybe not shed a tear, but uh, certainly, um, you know, sort of get a sense of how important he's been. No doubt I'll do a big, you know, video montage and music and all of that sort of stuff, and uh, I can't wait. Um, uh, I was, you mentioned the, the nickname Chunky. Um, so Jeff White has posted a picture of uh, a, a, a young Nathan Jones with a full head of hair. He said before the tats... Uh, getting lifts to training with Travis Johnson. This kid rocked up and we happily named him Chunky. Fast forward and what a story. Chunky from Mount Eliza goes on to play 300 AFL games. To you, your awesome family, uh, Jerry Jones, kids, congrats, mate. One of the great Melbourne FC players. Go get him this weekend, Jonesy. No matter what, uh, you'll still be Chunky. And then uh, Jonesy's wife, Jerry, has replied, so you started that. He still hates and is scarred by that nickname. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm sure he's grateful for all the support and learnings early early days with you. Um, so uh, obviously uh, Chunky doesn't like the nickname Chunky. So. He's well, been, that's why it's changed to Chunk. <laughs> he's been incredibly durable, hasn't he? He's, he's missed very few games um, with injury. And I actually remember... Um, one of them, it was against Brisbane in Brisbane. There's been so few of them. So uh, I think that was back in 2016, perhaps. Um, and in 2000, two, sorry, buddy. In 2019, um, I'm pretty sure it was 2019, we learned at the end of the season, remember, that neck. he had a neck yep. injury all season that he carried. Um, and, I, and, you know, that's a, just a marker of the sort of player he is. You'd never heard about it, never leaked out. Um, he played through pain all season, um, much like Robbie Flower did for much of his, the last third of his career, I guess. Um, yeah, he, he's been a fantastic servant for the club. Uh, I said a few weeks back when we were talking about the potential this might happen on the in the Tigers game, isn't it remarkable that he'll only be the second uh, MFC player to reach 300 in the oldest football club in the land and 150 years and there's only been two players who have reached the, the milestone. So... Um, I think that will really really start to settle in as the week um, progresses that people will start recognising what an achievement it is and where it sort of ranks him as an all-time great Melbourne player. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on. Uh, you want a Brownlow we... update? Yeah, so before we preview the Tigers game, yeah, great one, you had some information out of the AFLW, just the, of the... Uh, my medal was, well, we've got uh, joint winners from Collingwood and Fremantle in Davey and Bowers, um, and Karen Paxman has come in equal fifth with thirteen votes, um, only two off uh, uh, two off the leader. So um, really, she's sort of third best, I guess. But we've got two um, two winners and two in second spot: Ellie Blackburn and Aid Parker from GWS. So well done to Paxi. And earlier in the night. Uh, Tyler Hanks was named the rising star of the AFLW. Um, so congratulations to both of those players. Um, Paxman's All-Australian record is 5 for 5 so far, 
So I think Emma Carney um, is the only other player to achieve that. It's an incredible achievement. And, uh, yeah, as the, um, as the best and fairest has just shown, um, another sensational season for Paxi. So did you mention that uh, we only had one player in the All-Australian team? Is that correct? Yeah, and I think there were four named in the squad. And Paxi only managed to squeeze in on the bench. So um, I, a bit of a surprise that. And, yeah, if, to, if you want to not get it even more, Brisbane, who won the flag, also only had the one player in the All-Australian. So um, I'm sure every that'll, team, uh, that'll be talked about. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I just I, I don't understand that. Uh, we were quite dominant, particularly in the, uh, you know, for most of the year we only lost the two games and all well, the third with the final, but baffling. Yep. But well done uh, to the girls. Yep. Yeah, well done. Well done. Uh, it was, look, it was a fantastic year for the girls. They fell short uh, um, uh, in the prelim, but uh, had a fantastic year. So hopefully they can build on that next year. Uh, look, there was uh, a call for a female host to join the podcast um, during the week or perhaps last week. But um, it's just worth mentioning we've tried to have to get an AFLW player on, but haven't been successful so far. I remember we spoke to Mel Hickey. Um, I think in the very first season of mm-hmm. AFLW, but yeah, well, we yeah. we approached her ourselves um, to come on, and right. I think protocols go through the club now. And I I have asked, and I've sort of haven't got anyone, and I, I find that strange because <laughs> any promotion be a good promotion. So, but somebody also yeah. mentioned this that the the women's team they should be promoted so much, might have even been bid man that the club should be promoting the women's team so much more and that there's a huge untapped um, fan base there and membership base um, in, uh, in female supporters who are, um, who are following the women's game. Particularly given, I mean, really we could you know, claim a stake to say that it was us and the dogs who, who got the AFL going, uh, AFLW going, really. Um, you know, it was back of those of the exhibition games that were there three of them, four of them perhaps. Yep. Um, and you know, we've we really should be making that point. We started AFL men's football and we started women's football, and that they're a critical part of our um, club going forward. And perhaps with the new president, that's what will be picked up next season. And um, yeah, I totally agree, Greg Vining. It's a lost opportunity. Yeah, we've got two of the most recognisable faces in the game in Daisy Pearce, who is just everywhere, um, uh, and Paxman, who's won five All-Australians, has, has the funkiest haircut in the league. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the club really needs to be uh, making hay while the sun shines. And Demon Land sponsors uh, Karen Paxman. We do indeed, yep. Uh, um, just on just on that, you brought up before that someone on Demonland did mention, um, you know, perhaps we should get a female host in. And oh, look, we're any host, male, female, we're we're sort of open to anyone who wants. Usually, we, we've had people co-host uh, come on, like Bim Man and like George, who have been callers into the show. And you know, we're we're welcome to anyone. Uh, give us a call into the show, and um, you know, 
if you, we've got a rapport with each other and it's hard to just go out and ask someone to to come on just for the sake but there are a few few ladies on demon land and they're they're all welcome to to come on and try but i understand some people are shy to do that so maybe just start by calling in and uh, giving your opinions and We'll see how we go, but yeah, we don't not have a female host because of any not being inclusive. Um, Maybe we could have a special women's round on the podcast where uh, the four of us um, blokes can discuss women's issues for for um, for one night. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's what women want. Uh, a couple of men explaining <laughs> women's issues to them. That was a joke, um, yes. folks. But yes. <laughs> Um, all right, let's preview the Tigers game, B-Man. You're the, you're the man for, for this. Uh, you see the game uh, <laughs> from a tactical point of view that I don't always see. Kick uh, ball. Yeah, Get that's it. right. Kick it. Just before we go on to the, the Tigers game, just uh, going backwards to, to uh, Max Gorn, he had 19 um, contested possessions. Yeah, I mentioned, mentioned that. 19. I, I, I heard you read them out and I went back to check. Is it, did Andy say 19? That's remarkable. 19 contested possessions. And he had the most contested possessions of any player on the ground. That's that's some performance, isn't it? Not, um, not, just, not just that. The, he had eight contested marks. And I thought I heard in the commentary they say that it was almost a record. Uh, Wayne Kerry has the record for contested marks. Which I believe was ten, which I thought yeah. might have been sounded a bit low. Um, yeah, he is marking it like as I've said a number of times, and it was in front when I watched the replay. Lee Matthews said something sim- similar. I can't recall um, a ruckman marking the ball like he has, uh, and not even playing like, since Dempsey uh, and Teasdale. It's a, you know that's what the mid seventies. So we're looking forty five years. You know that's, that's since. Uh, a player who's played the way he is. He's, he's just incredible. Um, and just one final thing about like, is Cozzy's pressure. It wasn't a huge game, but really only because you compare it to the previous two weeks. Um, and you put that, the video on Demon Land uh, from the Geelong game, and you know, happened to watch it a few times because it was it's on a loop. Um, and I hadn't picked up, there were two angles on that video. And the one where you can see from behind the goals, um, and you couldn't really see it, but on the reverse angle, Cozzy blocks for um, um, uh, Gorn to pick that up and have space to then take a step and kick it. So many players in previous years and 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 players who aren't switched on um, would have gone for that ball. Cozzy was in closer to Cozzy than it was Gorn, but his instinct was to block the play. He didn't have to put much of a block on the Geelong player, just uh, enough of a block to allow Gorn to pick it up. He was running face on towards the goal um, and ultimately kicked the goal. It was such a, a clever bit of football um, from a, a team player, but also, as we've talked about a number of times and Great Viney pointed out a few weeks ago, he's, he is a smart football with natural IQ um, and you can't sort of, you know, he, he just did that instinctively and, um, yeah, it's just great to have a player with that that ability. So, uh, Just uh, in terms of the most contested marks in the game and uh, Max had eight, um, Wayne Kerry uh, has the most, ten. Uh, there's quite a few players on nine and quite a few players on eight, including David Neitz from 2000 against Geelong. Um, so, Max Gorn's up in that um, 
Rare, 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 yeah. Maybe you could. There's that thread that pops up every now and again on Demon Land about um, records that we're breaking. That would be a good one. To, I think well deserved if he can get eleven yeah. marks. And I can see that that happening. Um, with the amount of marks he's taking. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, look, uh, look. Obviously, that's a, a probably that stats a, a newer stat. I can't see anyone on that list that's before uh, 1999. Uh, that was Matthew Lloyd uh, on there. So, who knows what happened back in the day? But uh, or in recent time, anyway. Yeah. So on the Tigers game, I, I, I think it's fascinating because there's no question that the Tigers are the template. I mean, that's, that's stating the obvious. But there's a strong argument you could make that this current um, Richmond team is arguably the best team of the last 40 to 50 years. I mean, you've got, um, you've got Brisbane in that, um, that discussion. I guess you've got Essendon from the turn of the century, though, now that I say that, it doesn't sound right. So we'll, we'll take them off the table. Um, they're, they're phenomenally consistent, and so much of it's based around their the buy-in and their consistency around their system. Um, Melbourne have hundred percent, Goodwin's hundred percent um, taken their template uh, and put some tweaks on it. But that territory, the the, the fundamentals are very similar. So um, very strong back half, um, rebounding off the back half. Intercept marking being a key feature of that defensive structure. Um, transition the ball through the middle, but really focused on territory and getting it forward. They're, they're probably much more so focused on sort of forward at all costs um, than us. So, you know, the more pressure is their game plans built for pressure because, you know, like unlike a, say, West Coast game game plan, if you put enough pressure on the ball carrier, their game plan will erode because it's so much relying on that sort of each kick being hitting a target and being precise, whereas Richmond, their game plan is to get it forward even if there's no one forward to get it to, hit it forward, knock it forward, kick it forward, get distance, get um, territory. Um, so the more pressure is, the more of that there is, their, their game plan set up for it. We play similar, um, you know, territory forward half game um, that, you know, it's all about getting it forward into the forward, you know, ideally into the forward 50 and then trapping it there. And that's what we haven't been able to do in the last probably three years really is um, where we've changed is we're getting our tackles inside 50. Uh, what are we seeing asked about Cozzy? How many games he's played? He's only played probably 15, I, I would have thought. Um, but how important is his pressure inside 50? It's just phenomenally important. Um, and that's what Richmond do so well. They get it trapped in there and it's just hellishly difficult to get it back out of there. Um, so I think we've got very similar game plans. I think of all the clubs, Melbourne's game plans the most similar to Richmond. Um, and, you know, the fundamentals, as I said, are very similar. I think the difference is our defensive structure is is quite different to theirs. Um, we've got a, a different zone system that's uh, working. I think it's the best defensive system in the, the league. It'll be tested, though, this week. This is the ultimate test. In many ways, I think this is such a great opportunity for the club because we've banked those five wins. Um, I can't see them opening us up. Um, they've never really opened us up under Hardwick. I might I stand to be corrected on that, um, or certainly not in the last two or three years, not super badly. Um, our system sets up well against theirs, as I was saying, so you've got two very similar energies coming together, if you like. Um, 
I think they'll struggle to, you know, score heavily with us. The question will be whether we'll be able to work our way through their zone and their pressure to be able to um, to get a winning score on the board. I think we'll struggle, you know, with that pressure because we haven't come up um, to a, you know, with it yet, and they're, you know, they're the best team in the league. So I, I would favour them. I, um, you know, I think I'm trying to take my tipping really seriously this year and I think I'll end up tipping Richmond. Um, but, you know, it's a bit of a no-lose game. You know, we're not going to get opened up like St Kilda did. That's, you know, that's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, I think it, whatever happens, it'll be a fantastic game. Uh, and, of course, a win would be would be brilliant. But, you know, I'll be the most thing I'll be watching for is how difficult it is for them to score. Um, I think that that's what our, um, really our advantage that we might have over them. Um, I saw, I, list, I was listening before to uh, Justin Lepich was on uh, Wait, uh, Jared Waitley's show on SEN today. I might just play the audio uh, from that um, because rather than me try to um, uh, try to give you a pricey of what was said, but it had to do with uh, our ability or lack thereof to score against them in previous times and, and just uh, sort of how we how they prepare for us. So it's quite interesting. It's two minutes, so I'll just uh, play that for you. The main event of the Anzac round is the Saturday night, the Anzac Eve game, Melbourne and Richmond. So this is perfect timing. Richmond flexed, Melbourne are unbeaten. When you would plan for Melbourne in the past within the Richmond's Brains Trust, what, what, what were your priorities? Um, Melbourne was very much, uh, if you could use the term, manage and exploit. So you'd manage the inside of the game. So make sure you're going to lose clearance probably against Melbourne in the past because they had such dominant um, inside grunt mids, but the outside of their game um, was just not quite there. But this is where Melbourne have changed over in my time, just watching them even, Jared, with you. Um, in the in the comfort of our grandstand, they are a different team. They look different in front of the ball. They look more solid behind the ball. They set the ground up so much better than they used to. I know the backs at Richmond would n- really know that the Melbourne forwards get too high up the ground. They drop off them. You can picture Nick Vlost in intercept marking and then they're back out the other way. Melbourne set the ground up so much better that that's going to be harder for the Richmond guys to do. In their last three outings, Melbourne have had 12 shots, 15 shots and 12 shots. The last three times that they've played each other at this yep. ground. They just can't score against Richmond. Melbourne are averaging 26 shots this year. So they're, they're, they're not just their defence, but their ability to score consistently has been there in the first five rounds. But that's the arm wrestle I'm looking forward to, to see whether they can keep Brisbane uh, Richmond's defence accountable and make sure they can't get any, any, any intercepts sorry, and go back the other way, which they've proven they've been able to do over the first five weeks. So is your sense that they are now ready for this challenge oh, or better ready. equipped? Yeah, they're as ready as they've ever been. There's no doubt. They'll, they'll definitely make it harder for Richmond because they've still got those inside mids that should get on top in that part of the game. Yep. Richmond really aren't have never been, um, you know, elite gold standard in that part of the game anyway. They've more been on the outer ring more than the inner ring with their focus, but they should win that inner ring battle, but they're so much better at their spread to get from that inner ring to sort of the outer ring. They're so much better this year, Melbourne, and their, their defensive setups are a lot more solid than it's ever been. Um, yeah. Uh, Be man, would you sort of agree with that? Yeah, totally. Who was that? I didn't. That was Justin Lepich, so he was a yeah, he was right. one of their assistant coaches. Yeah, he's retired or retired from footy. I understand. Yeah, oh, look, I think that uh, he's spot on in terms of 
that's that challenge is whether they've got a similar ability to to um, bounce off the halfback flank and um, you know absorb pressure. That both teams are great at absorbing pressure. And I heard Gorn. It's well worth listening to Gorn's fantastic on RSN. I think it's every fortnight he's on RSN on a Monday morning, and he talked about two things. Actually, it was interesting. One, how important having the um, big ground of Casey's been for them um, in terms of being able to properly set up their defensive structure and that he felt that um, Gosh's paddock was actually a huge disadvantage because they weren't aware of actually how hard they had to spread to defensively cover, that they thought they were defensively covering because they were at Gosh, but uh, it was only when they're starting to regularly train on a proper MCG um, size oval at uh, Casey that they, they've been able to really get those systems right. Um, but also the he said how important it's been to their game plan being able to absorb pressure in the back half and trust the defenders that um, um, that they will absorb pressure, which he said has enabled them to be much more offensive, uh, which is what Lepic is just touching on, that, um, you know, we struggled to score and struggled to get it back. Um, but now we're allowing it to go into the forward, uh, sorry, into the um, our back half with confidence and rebounding off that. And that's the Richmond model. That's what they do. They don't mind it, you know, the ball coming into their... Um, um, back half because they can absorb the pressure, win the ball, and then everyone's pressed forward and they get through it. So um, I think the other point he makes is a really good one. We're so much better at getting it outside that inner ring. And it's time talked about it um, when he called in and we had, you know, we've been talking about it, that link out, maybe that's the Uze model. We're, we're much, we've got much better set up around stoppages, um, but we're offensively, um, setting up much more aggressively. So when we do win it and we do get it to the outside wing, you watch how often now we're getting it forward of um, Sander. And, and Oliver's actually a really important player in that. He's been a much more damaging player this year, I thought, on the weekend watching the replay. So many of his kicks now are forward of that pack instead of the dinky one behind that he's sort of, he's already 10 metres behind the, the pack. Uh, he's getting low penetration you know, kicks. Um, he's been super important. Also, I thought his marking's been you know, much better than it has been pretty much all his career. So, yeah, I think that's some really interesting points from Lepic. I think his main takeaway message is that we're better prepared than ever. Um, to to defeat them, and um, I think it sets up fantastically from a tactical um, perspective. This game, great, Viney. Uh, how will you feel if we go six and zero? Is the lid going to be firmly off? <laughs> uh, the lid is pretty much close to being off already at my place, to be honest. Um, in the sense that if we go five and one, I'm not going to lose faith. And I'll uh, maintain my trust in the club. Um, like Bin Man, I don't think we're going to get blown out of the um, blown out of the park or blown out of the water. Um, whatever happens. Uh, in fact, I think uh, I think the reverse. I think it's going to be a very tight game, um, and it'll be a close finish. I can just see uh, either people on Demon Land or. or, or people within the non-demon community, uh, you know, opposition supporters, if we do lose or, or in fact, get blown out of the water, um, you know, and just saying that we're pretenders, um, we haven't beaten anyone, uh, but uh, uh, let's not lose faith. I, 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 well, one, I agree with Grapevine that we, um, 
I can't see us getting smashed, not like the Saints. And that's the problem. The Saints' game plan is flaky um, and that it, when it's on, it looks great and they can score, they can move the ball quickly, but you take away their ability to move the ball and transition, um, you know, they're going to struggle. Um, I, any team that puts on the, the lack of or applies the lack of pressure they did to the Tigers is going to get carved up. So they were that was a woeful performance, but their game plan has got that flaw in it. So for us, though, I think... Neutral supporters, even if we get beaten by four or five goals or whatever, won't, you know, they can see Melbourne's a real deal. You don't have to know much about footy to see that we're out, we've, we've got the talent and we've now got the system. And I think, though, that, you know, we've talked about it tonight a couple of times, but the trust is there, isn't it? The teams keeps coming up. I listened to Goodwin from 360 last night. Trust seems to be the, the go-to word. So, um, you know, I think the footy public is starting to trust the demons and even Waitley, who who doesn't seem to like the D's at all, seems to be coming around. Well, anything else, boys, before we wrap this up? Just one thing for bookmark, actually, for for, for further discussion. Um, there was a thread on Demonland about whether Langdon was the best recruit this year, or I did, um, you know, perhaps last year. Maybe that was from last year. That that I. The question I have, and again, maybe it's for further discussion uh, next week, is is Langdon the best recruit Melbourne's ever had from another AFL, VFL club? Um, for me, there's not too many more. I mean, Stephen Nick is one that jumps out for me. Brian Wilson, Jeff White won a Brownlow after coming from Frio. Uh, no, Jeff White didn't win a Brownlow. Wilson. Jeff White, did he? Uh, Brian Wilson won a brown light. Yeah, Brian Wilson did, not Jeff White. Oh, sorry, yep, yep, yep. So um, but so he he's up there. Um, you probably also put May up there fairly close too, but Langdon has to be one of the greatest um, uh, recruits Melbourne's had in the time I've followed footy. Levers putting his hat in the ring as well yeah. um, for that, uh, of the recent uh, guys. I think we've really... You know, there was a lot said about, you know, what we had to give up to get May, to get Lever. Um, we didn't have to give up too much to get uh, Langdon, which is why it's such a good trade. But um, I think we're starting to see the results of those two trades, in particular the, uh, the Lever-May uh, trades. Um, where does Brett Lover very- come in that conversation? He came from Hawthorne, didn't he? And does it count if he came from the reserves of another team given that yeah that's that's how it operated back then yeah Yeah. sort of he'd be up there for sure the other one i thought was carl dittridge Mm. that was a bit strange because he started at melbourne went to st kilda back to um, melbourne then back to he did it twice didn't he I'm getting my, my car detectors. Look, I think when you're talking about those type of things, it, it's going to come down to whether there's success is born from from those trades. And if we happen to 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 win a flag and knock, by no means am I, uh, Mr. Negative, getting ahead of myself here. But, you know, uh, hypothetically, if we were to win a flag, then you, you definitely would say someone like, and Langdon has a has a hand in that, you you put him in the ring, he's... His name in there as well as May, as well as Lever. So, um, yeah, you got to sort of, I think, not, you know, they've been playing well, but, uh, yeah, we want to start seeing some success because um, if you don't uh, do anything, you don't make finals, you don't uh, go deep into finals or in turn win a flag, then. 
Yeah. Talk about simpler times when you Stephen Nick. I love Stephen Nick at the uh, footy club. But, uh, yeah, no, I think Brett Lovett's a good one. He'd be up there in the conversation. But he's been phenomenal, Langdon, and agreed Lever's starting to put his sort of name forward in that space and May has already. So, um, yeah, hats off to the recruiting department. They've really, um, you know, you add Cozzy, Rivers and Jackson into that mix and now Jordan coming through. They've earned their um, pay packet, haven't they? Absolutely. All right, boys. I think we'll uh, we'll leave this one there. Let's let's hope we uh, we can be all happy and um, kumbaya again next week. Um, it's always much easier, and it's been very easy to get up for these podcasts when you're winning. It's a different story when you're losing. Uh, so hopefully we don't. You know, look, they'll come. I, I, look, <laughs> you're not going to win twenty two games during the year. That's how we do. One week at a time, Andy. I'm getting very ahead of myself. All right, guys. We'll see you back next week. Uh, go Demons. Go Red Legs. Thanks.